We are in, and this is going to be the title of my message, I stole it from Pastor Jürgen, a sustainable revival. And I, I want to speak on that because when he spoke that the first time, I just felt like I felt it. You, you know when somebody says something and it lingers long after the sentence has been verbalized and it stays with you? And I, I'm like, my husband is a freaking genius. This is exactly what we need. Um, I want to welcome Salt Lake City family up the back too. Maddie, Lorraine, all the crew, love you guys so much. Love being with you. It was so wonderful to be with you in Israel. Two of my most favorite people in the world, the funnest. I, I kind of feel like Lorraine is fun and holy in a person. If a person was fun and holy, Lorraine, it is you. And such a, a pleasant person you are, Lorraine. It's so easy to be around. All right, so we'll get into it. Good to see Christian. He's such a fantastic person, isn't he? Everybody loved him in Israel. He was like, he was like the prince of Israel. <laughs> um, just a blast. So I hope next time those of you who couldn't join us can, um, and we'll, we'll make it work. We'll find a way to make it work. Start praying now. How, however... Um, let's, let's get into the word. Forgive my very crackly voice and maybe a little bit of brain fog. Um, I preached at a, a conference on, so I got home on Thursday night late. Friday was on a plane to preach at a conference and I have no idea what I said. Like, honestly, I feel a bit sorry for them. I, I have no recollection of even being there. <laughs> it was wild. So I'll just do that as a bit of a disclaimer. So the title of the message is A Sustainable Revival. The four R's. It was three until this morning, then I added a fourth R. The four R's of A Sustainable Revival. And when Jürgen spoke that, I, like I said, it resonated with me so deeply. And I am a deep thinker and a processor, and I will grab a thought and then just marinate on it for a while. And so this is what that processing has brought forth today, this message. I, yeah, we've heard some mixed messages and some mixed um, feelings and opinions on what happened in Asbury. Uh, personally, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of, of definitely young people, college students having an encounter with God. A hundred percent. If there is any generation that needs an encounter with God, it's the Gen Z generation because they've been raised in the most cynical environment. And if anyone needs to have an encounter with the living God who moves in power, be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's this generation. So I'm all about it. And then I will add to that and say, but it's just the start, it's not the end. It doesn't start with an outpouring of the Spirit in a college hall. That's where it begins and from there, it is our job as the church to sustain the revival that God wants to bring to, to our nation. So I want to talk about what, what does a sustainable revival look like? Um, especially within this, this culture, I've been... Uh, last night I had a, a, another epiphany as I was just scrolling through Instagram. And, and I, I saw, I think it's called Theos U memes. And they, and they did one meme that was actually really clever. But then I went down the rabbit hole, and I'm like, oh, I, I actually don't think I like you guys. 
I, I'm sorry, I know I'm like tipping over some, some, some Trojan horses here today. They're a cynical bunch. They really are. They've got to be very careful. The Bible is very clear. Don't sit in the seat of the mocker. And, and if they think they're being edgy, sure, knock yourself out. Occasionally, yes, even a broken clock is right twice a day. No, I'm doing this on purpose and I hope I'm triggering you because you need to hear it. The worst thing a generation can adopt is a cynical spirit. And as I looked through it, in fact, it was that very thing that got made Michael in the Bible barren, mocking David in the presence of God. And as I went down that rabbit hole after I saw something I liked, I'm like, wow, okay, so they're not into women preachers. They're not into the miraculous. You know, it may have started as we want to call out the performance culture in some churches, but it's gone way too far. So I would say to you, if you indulge in a lot of those memes, tread very carefully. I'm not going to tell you you can't, but I am going to tell you be flipping smart. Because the last thing a faithless world needs is a faithless church. It's Oh, it's easy to swim downstream, please. But we're called to be people of faith. The Bible tells us without faith it is impossible to please God. So how do we think that we're going to rewrite a cynical generation that has been steeped in a culture of, in many ways, a a hypocritical church by amening all all the world's worst versions of who we are instead of pointing people to the truth about who God is. So tread carefully. And I'm glad I said it. And I'm not apologizing. And I'm not giving it any disclaimers. Be smart. Be smart. All right, that's just for free. All right, so let's talk about the four R's of a sustainable revival. The first one is relationships. Relationships. So when God created Adam, the Bible says that the Lord God formed Adam from the dust of the earth and then breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living being, an individual complete in body and spirit. Wow, he was complete. Wow. He, wasn't, he just didn't need the dust to be a complete man. It wasn't just a body that was formed. God breathed his own breath into him. And it's important to note in the story of creation that everything God created, until it got to man, he spoke and the universe existed. But when it came to you and I, we were handmade. You are couture. So look at what the enemy is doing right now with our young people, telling them to dice themselves up because they were born in the wrong body. But, but God handmade you and, and didn't stop there. And then he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. Here's what I'll tell you, relationships. We won't see the sustaining of a revival or even a co- complete and healthy individual if we settle for man breath instead of pursuing God breath. How we got it is how we keep it. So here's what happens in a lot of churches, and this is why maybe some of the cynics in the room are the way they are. People get saved, they're introduced to God, but they don't get to know him. So they come down on an altar call and an introduction is made, genuine, real, yes, introduction. But from there, there's no relationship that's, that's birth. There's no, there's no getting to know you. So when something goes awry in the church, and it will, When a pastor does something foolish, and he or she will, when a pastor falls in some way, and they will, they have, and they will, they all 
lose their flippin' collective marbles and throw God out. Yeah. I, I remember a story. Yeah. Well, it's not even, it's my story. <laughs> a story that I lived. Um, oh, it was like maybe, I don't know how many years now. Look, I've, I feel so old at this point. Twelve years and seven score and many moons ago. Uh, there was a certain worship leader who faked having cancer and wrote a song that was amazing, like amazing song. And then it, we come to find out that it, you know, like very troubled. And then it all got exposed nationally. And I remember somebody saying to me, oh, my gosh, so many people are going to fall away from God because of this. And even in my immature state of maybe 23 or 24, I thought to myself, thought to myself, why? Yeah. Yeah. He, he didn't die on a cross for us. Yeah. He, he's not their salvation. Yeah. So if you fall away because another believer or pastor or leader behaves like an idiot, who are you saved unto? Are you saved unto the Lord? Are you saved unto man? Like, my salvation, my, my devotion to Christ doesn't hinge on your ability to behave. I, I haven't given you that much power. But what happens here is because the relational aspect of a revival, we've reduced salvation down to an introduction instead of a relationship with God. And God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. How you got it is how you keep it. I can't live your Christianity for you. All these things I'm talking about today are not for the person next to you, they're for you. They're your responsibility. I can't do it for you. And so, you know, as much as you can text me and say, hey, where's that scripture in the Bible? You use the same Google I do. Why, why don't you try? Why, why, don't you, why don't you resource yourself, pray for yourself? You know, there are very few incidences in the Bible where we are actually asked to have the elders come pray for us. I'm going to be honest with you. We've become a little bit indulgent. Can you pray your own freaking prayers? Did God give you a mouth? Yes. Okay, so, it, like, you can do it. If you're sick, call the elders. You know what the Bible says in James? Uh, if any among you are afflicted, let him pray. But we default it. Oh, if I can get prayer with the right person. Oh, step aside, connect group leader. Pastor Jürgen is here to save the day. Like, like somehow God doesn't want to listen to you. He does. He sent Jesus to die to repair this relationship for the very purpose of speaking to you. And here's what happens in this world. Because you don't know him, when you go through a trial and your face attacked, you fall a flipping part. And the Bible says... If you fall apart in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Why? Because you need to get God's breath on the inside of you. What's the difference between you and me? Nothing. Except I get up early and I get the breath of God into my body and my being. How do you keep going, Leanne? How do you keep forgiving? How do you keep somewhat nice? Not always, but somewhat. That's why. You want a sustainable miracle? Nobody else, a revival, nobody else can live your Christianity for you. This relationship is the preeminent, predominant, and it's, and it's you. It's not Pastor Yo, and it's not me. It's not the celebrity superstars. It's, it's you. What did, what did Jesus say 
in the, in the end times when he says, and, and then I'm going to come, and like a thief in the night, I'm going to separate the, the sheep from the goats. He says, and I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Yeah. Not, not you weren't holy enough. Not you smoked a cigarette or you, you secretly vaped, even though I wouldn't suggest it. I never knew you. I didn't know you. Who are you? There was an introduction, but it never got past that. Amen, Leanne. Amen. I'll drink to that. All right. So the second relationship, because it's not just a relationship with, with God that, that sustains a revival, it's, it's this. And in fact, I would say it's an introduction to God that draws people into the church, but it's a relationship that's soured that drives people out. So if you think that this is just our responsibility, you're sorely mistaken. This is too. And I, and I will see your spiritual maturity by the way you handle especially fractured relationships. Most of us, most of us would say the most valuable thing in our lives is a relationship, correct? Would you say the most valuable thing you have is a person, a relationship, husband, wife, friends, community? Absolutely. Well, then why do we think the thing that we have said is the most valuable shouldn't cost us? Shouldn't shouldn't cost us having to get over some stuff. Shouldn't cost us some aggravation because that person sitting next to you is frightfully annoying. Oh, God knows they are, and that's why he sat them next to you. Because here's the thing. The fruits of the Spirit can only be outworked in community. You don't need them if you're alone. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All that is outworked and triggered. I didn't know I need patience until I got married and had a couple of friends and started a church. And boy, do I need it now. But we want costless relationships. Oh, I'm cutting them out. They're a bad vibe. They're negative. Well, good luck living in a world with a friend who was none of those things at any given time. You're going to have to weather some stuff. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you some inconvenience. You know what I don't want to do? I don't want to go to your party with 100 people, but I will because I value the relationship. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I realize the older I get, the more children I have, the bigger the church gets, the more I love being alone. I just got to be honest. Oh, being alone sounds so magnificent in Leanne's selfish world. But if I truly value relationships, then I'm going to be, I'm going to allow myself to be put out a little. Relationships, friendships will cost you who sold you the lie that it was all about you. Oh, and what they're doing and are they inputting, I'm only friends with people who pour into, yeah, because you're selfish. And guess what? Those friends are going to walk out on you and you'll be lonely. Because if your relationships are all based around what people do for you, you're going to make your world really small. Relationships are going to cost you money. If you never put your hand in your pocket when you go out to lunch and it's always somebody else, your invitations are going to kind of peter out very quickly. Forgiveness. 
Like you don't have anything you needed to be forgiven for. Oh, but I'm just, I'm cutting you off. The unforgivable sin. You didn't respond to my text in time. Well, listen, if you want to be my friend, you're going to have to get over that real fast. I'm just saying. Like it could be a minute or a year. For reals. It's going to cost you awkward conversations with things that you'd rather just pretend didn't happen. I'd rather just pretend I didn't see that, I didn't notice that, you didn't do that, and let's just, let's just carry on. But relationships are going to cost you. The church family, this is God's mechanism for maturing his sons and daughters. And if we can't get it right then what hope do we have in bringing revival to the rest of the world? When they look in, it's the same backbiting, the same carry-on, the same gossip, the same cutting off, the same I'm walking away, the same bitching and carry-on. And I said that to trigger you. Because I'm telling you, if the shoe fits, wear it. There was life on it. People will ponder that for a while doesn't mean you're unwise. It doesn't mean you tolerate abuse. But it does mean that you see relationships as the primary thing and make decisions in favor of that. Not everybody is going to be your cup of tea. I, I understand that. But, but Jesus died not just for this relationship to be prepared, repaired, but for this one also. This, this, this matters. This matters so deeply. And um, I think I was having a conversation with, with Kay Ray a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, she asked me, like, do you ever, like, something like hold on forgiveness or have bitterness towards people? And I had to honestly say to her, like, no, I don't. I actually choose to process it with you. It doesn't mean I don't feel mad or sad or disappointed or betrayed, but, but I refuse to let my heart linger there. Like, I... I more than anything, yes, the, the assignment is important, but my peace is too important. My peace is too important. And I want to, wherever it's up to me, like the Bible says, live at peace with all men and be able to walk into a room and not have awkwardness. It is the worst thing, don't you think? Walking in and you know there's someone over there who hates your guts. It's horrifying. I, I don't want that. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to be best friends again, but we do what we need to do to repair things. And I want to say, are you, are you truly doing enough? Because wow. most of us will say, yeah, I do that. But we, we actually don't really try. Wow. We'll, we'll give it one shot and then move on. Or we'll do something kind of like, you know, you know just very blase-fair. When God's actually saying, I want you to go, go the extra mile. This is a relationship that I have divinely orchestrated, and it's fractured, and I just don't want you to be okay with that. Does that make sense? Because when you look at when God created Adam, so first of all, he had his relationship with God, and then he brought to him the ultimate friend, Eve. But the minute things went awry in the garden, who was the first person he blamed? The woman you gave me. True for Adam, true for all of us. It's never our fault. It's the friends you put me, it's the church, it's the pastor. 
if we could discard that, if we want to see a sustainable revival in our world, not just our relationship with God, our responsibility, but this, be responsible for one another. Like, Like work at making amends, work at bringing peace. And if you know people who are fractured, help them work it out. Don't stir the pot. Don't fight fire with fire. Fight fire with a fire extinguisher. Massage relationships where they need to be massaged. God spoke about uh, unity in the Psalms. Where there is unity, uh, the Lord blesses where there is unity. It flows down the beard of Aaron and everything's blessed. That's the place of salvation. And it's, it's so true, but unity isn't organic. It's intentional. It, it actually has to be worked on. Um, and also, unity isn't me agreeing with you or even us agreeing with each other. It's all of us agreeing with God. It's all of us aligning with what God says. All right. Amen, Leanne. Okay, the second R is this, responsibilities. A sustained revival requires that you and I fulfill our divine assignment, and I'm not talking about your paid job. I'm talking about the God assignment that is on your life. The first thing that God did when he made Adam was pop him in a garden and tell him to work on it. He put him in a garden and he said, all right, now tend and keep it. It wasn't even Adam's flipping garden. Wow, God. You couldn't hire somebody else? You have to get me as your son to serve and make your garden awesome? Yes. What is your God assignment and are you doing it? God has gifted you with something. And it's not just how you you make your paycheck. But but he's he's given you a divine gifting to outwork in service to to bring glory to him and to build the kingdom. There is a divine assignment on your life. We're all called to fulfill the assignment God has put on us. I've realized, I had this realization, another epiphany. I go from epiphany to epiphany. (laughs) My life is one big epiphany. That's what happens when you don't learn anything in school. It's like after that, it's just like, wow. (laughs) That my gifting is not for me. It's for you. This is, Leanne's awesome is for you. Christian's theatrical ability and gifting is not for Christian. It's for me. And I'm greatly entertained by it. Pathfinder Collins, epic entrepreneurial gifting that he he has the ability to, to, to bring out and motivate people in a way that so few can. It's not for him. It's for me. For you. Morgan's ability to extrapolate the complexities <laughs> and to make the complexities so simple that someone who left school in the 10th grade is mesmerized by it is not for Morgan. He'll get some benefit, but it's for me. Mike Yeager's songwriting, again, for me. Enrique's creativity, design, intellect. It's blessing in Reiki, but it's, again, for me. So, so what, has, what has God assigned you to do? And are you being selfish with it? 
Oh, I'm using all my stuff to start my own business, to do my own thing, and I'm making myself money. Ooh, but God gave you a garden, and he's not paying you jack diddly squat, and he's still asking you to tend and to keep it because he put something divine on the inside of you. He, he made those hands, cultivating hands, Adam, and you'll be blessed, Adam, but you've got to understand I didn't give it to you for you. I gave it to you for me. The parable of the talents. Each of us have been given at least one. At least one. And the master has called us to multiply it. And so interesting, I love, this is like, you could get a psychology degree just off this passage of scripture in Matthew 25, where the master comes back, and let's focus on the, the final servant who was given one. So he's working for another man, and he has to be responsible for something that doesn't belong to him. And then the master comes back and has the audacity to expect a return. It's not his thing. He's not multiplying his own stuff. He's multiplying what the master's put in his hand. And then the master comes back and he, he makes this speech, which is all lies, by the way. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back, liar. But then the master calls him out on his lies. I'm adding stuff for effect. <laughs> and replies, it's not that you're afraid that you would lose my money and you hid because of fear. You're actually wicked and lazy. You're selfish, you think all about yourself, and you're lazy at the point of what has been put in your hands by me you don't want to cultivate. Because it's not going to, in the short term, you think, give a return to your account. How do I know this? I know you're a hard man, reaping where you haven't sown, harvesting where you have not scattered seed. What's he saying? I'm going to put this money in the ground, or, or I'm, going to, I'm going to multiply this, but I'm not going to get the reward. You're going to get the reward. And God's like, yeah, exactly. I am getting the reward because this isn't about you. It's about me. I've put something on your life that I've called you to multiply. And when you don't, when you use it selfishly for yourself or tap out altogether, the reward is, well, anti-reward, wicked and lazy servant. And by the way, I'm going to double down and I'm going to take what you did have and give it to the person who has the most. Anti-socialism. Many people can work hard for themselves, but can you be faithful with what, with what God has given you? Can you give God a return? Can you imagine how different our world would look if every son and daughter of God asked God to show them what he has put in their hand to serve him and then do it? Can you imagine even just in this room, let's just use this room, everything God has asked you to do, you do it. Not even if you, let's say you don't even help the person next to you, you just do what is your job. Imagine how amazing it would be. Imagine how seamlessly and flawlessly and wonderfully the church would run if you and I just did our jobs. I have people come to me sometimes, pastor, is there anything I can do for you? Staff members, yes, your job. Your job. What I'd really like is that I don't have to come down and fix what's been given to you because you're doing your job. Responsibility. And it can be a conundrum sometimes working for the church because we get a paycheck for, for serving God while at the same time or simultaneously we have to be a servant. 
and it is something that you're going to have to find the rhythm for. And after many, many years in ministry, 31 years, I feel like I found the rhythm of, you know, this. I am blessed enough to, like, do you realize how blessed we are? those of us in this room that actually get a salary to, to do what we do. And it's not, it's not a entitlement. It's, it's an honor. It sobers me. My God, it sobers me. I never want our volunteers, as wonderful as they are, to, to work harder than, than us. Oh, I'll just get my job and give it to a volunteer. Okay, good. Please make disciples, develop people, teach them to do what you do. But also remember, that doesn't mean you get to sit on the couch and twiddle your thumbs. Like, are you being productive? Are you being responsible for what God has put in your hands to multiply? Amen. All right. Okay. And then the third R is representation. We represent God the Father. We represent Awakened Church. We represent Pastor Jürgen and Pastor Leanne. When you, when you make your life where you aren't just thinking about yourself, it, it, it's when you become an unstoppable force for good. For good. And, and revival is imminent. So I know that throughout my life, the way I act, the things I say, the, the way I behave, the, even down to the things I watch where so on and so forth, I am a representation of God the Father. Now, we are fun and we are holy. And let me teach you how to walk the line here. The solution is not to become a, a pious, holier than thou, a glass of wine would not pass my lips. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. But on the flip side, the worldliness, we have to make sure that we are walking that line, fun, holy, Fun, holy, fun, holy. And I would say fun is holy. Holy is what undergirds. But because we have a bit of a broken view of what holy is, we think it's, oh. Actually, when you're truly holy, you're, you're full of life. You're fun-loving. You're life-giving. You're free. That's right. You're liberated. You're, you, you can laugh at yourself. You can have a joke. You can have some fun while at the same time not crossing a boundary that in any way disparages the name of God or, or his bride. So I make no apology in saying that I am a God pleaser. And there are times, many of them, where I think, would this please God? And if I am ever grieved in my life, it's grieved over the thought that I haven't pleased God. That I've done something that I know breached a boundary. I, I said something, I indulged in something, I was part of something that breached a boundary. And that's what gives me grief. Do you know why? Because I love him. I love him. I want to represent him well because it, what, he, what he means to me is so vastly important. I, I want to put a smile on the face of God. When we were in Israel, we got the opportunity to train with like the Israeli special forces. Is that what they're called? Oh, dear God. It was horrifying. Like, fun and horrifying. I felt so ill-equipped. I hadn't held a gun till that point. So I'd never held a gun. Jürgen didn't trust me with a gun, for good reason. Good reason. And um, 
a very good friend of ours had set it up. Dario De Luca had set up the introduction and arranged this most amazing experience for us. And I didn't realize how bad I was at hand-to-hand -hand combat <laughs> and holding a gun and really doing anything, like, spontaneously. So I, I just remember feeling, like, so... I felt the pressure of, oh, my gosh, like, I, I need to represent Dario De Luca well. Like, Jürgen and I are his pastors. And I don't want him going back with the report, oh, dear God, your pastor's wife. It, maybe it's a bad analogy, but what I'm saying is I, I cared about how I represented my friend who had arranged this most incredible meeting that I kind of felt like I train wrecked a little bit because I, I couldn't remember any of the commands. They say run right, I run left. They say shoot here, I shoot anywhere but here. They say get flat, boy, did I get flat. Just saying. Get flat. I was like pancake woman. That I can do. how we represent, I, I, I care about my representation of God the Father. Things we say, things we do, places we go, and, you know, we're not a legalistic and punitive church. I'm never going to say, never going to put rules down about that kind of thing. We, we want your conscience to be guided by the Holy Spirit. If I have to tell you, don't do it. Like, there's, there's something more broken in that that needs to be righted. It's getting to know him, because once you get to know him, you're like, well, I want to please you and I'm going to live righteously. Jesus said this because Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I really been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Somebody say representation. So why are you asking me to show you him? You're looking at him. Don't you believe that I am, the father, I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Listen to this. I want you to hear this as it relates to representation. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. So Jesus distills down representation of the Father to two things, words and works. So, if somebody wants to see God on earth, they should see him in you. How? Your words. Do you have the language of heaven? Faith, hope, love, truth, and your deeds. Not just the words you speak. That's, that's nothing if it's not punctuated by the life you live. Your words and your works representation. Let me ask you this question. Do you know what God loves? I can represent my husband effectively because I know what he loves. I also know what he hates. Do you know what God hates? In the book of Proverbs, there's a list of things. Proverbs 6, six things God hates, seven are an abomination to him. In order to fully represent people, someone, we need to know not just what they love but also what they hate. Representation. And we're in a, we're in a season right now where we're seeing the, the true distinction between the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees. Did I say this already? No. Okay, good. Sorry. I, this is the brain fog moment. 
So, so Jesus said this. He said, beware of the leaven of Herod, which is worldliness, and the leaven of the Pharisee, which is hypocrisy, harsh, brutal legalism. So we're seeing both, and you'll find that both those things will rise at the same time. So we're seeing the rise of the reprobate. We're seeing all kinds of nonsense as it relates to blatant, brazen perversion in the public square. And then on the flip side, we're seeing a whole lot of vengeful crusaders that do not represent the heart of God toward a world that the Bible says he loves. What does God love? For God so loved the world, the people. Okay, so we've got to be careful that we walk the line in our representation. We're not worldly reprobates, but we're also not standing in an ivory tower pointing out everybody else's sin except our own. And listen, I've seen half these Instagram influencers who are piping off telling everybody else what to do, and I know some of them. And I'm telling you, ooh, and I know you aren't as pure as the wind-driven snow, so you have to be very careful. Judge not lest ye be judged, for the measure you use will be measured back to you. So be very careful that you don't fall into the leaven of the Pharisee nor the leaven of the Herod. Walk the line. Mercy, truth, faith, love. Of course, we, 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 we cling to what is good and we hate what is evil. But remember, we're talking about spirits, not people. We're not bashing the people who have been captivated and intoxicated by those spirits that have been allowed to be unleashed on the earth. We, we have to make sure that we make the distinction representation. All right, and then finally, the final R, repentance. Relationships, responsibilities, representation, and repentance equal a sustainable revival. What does the Bible tell us in Second Chronicles? If my people, whose people? So like the worldly people that don't know God or whose people? If my people will humble themselves and pray and turn repentance from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. That's what revival looks like. So when we start looking out at the world and everybody else should repent, instead of having some self-reflection like King David, oh God, search me, know me. Test my every anxious thought. I'm telling you, half these people that are rep- representing God so brutally in this current season would do good to have moments of self-reflection and repentance. So instead of unleashing what they think is God's heart with bitterness, instead have an understanding, there but for the grace of God go I. And now my spirit is in the right place and I'm able to effectively represent the, the Father. But repentance, that's what it comes down to. Revival comes when God's people turn. I want to ask you this question. When was the last time you asked God to search you? We're very good at doing an inventory of what that person needs to fix in that person. And oh, I can do a list of all the things that my husband needs to change. PowerPoint presentation. (laughs) Things Jürgen needs to learn. (laughs) Or... I can take the posture of King David, who was no saint. And yet God says he's a man after my own heart. We don't hear about Ahab cheating on Jezebel. We don't hear about Saul cheating on his wife. And yet God rejected both of those, called Ahab wicked, more wicked than any. David, he was like dysfunction junction. What, what made him a man after God's own heart? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. 
and renew a right spirit within me. Repentance, repentance, repentance. It's not a dirty word. It's not a harsh word. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts, repent therefore and turn to God. So times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Sounds like revival to me. But while you're piping off about what everybody else needs to fix and not doing an internal reflective moment with the Holy Spirit, don't process your inward stuff without the Holy Ghost. You could find yourself going into either pride or condemnation. Process with God. Oh, God, search me. Know me. What was the last thing that God spoke to you about an area in your life you need to shift? Things in your own heart that he wants you to deal with. It's an uncomfortable feeling because we, we become very vulnerable when we allow God to, to search us. And so many people won't do it. In fact, I think a lot of people busy themselves with serving simply because they want to avoid the altar. Now, of course, I've already, I've already spoken about serving and how it is a requirement of a son and a daughter of God. Like I'm not disparaging serving or saying you need to toss everything out. But, but a, a red flag for me is when I see ministry opportunities come and go and the same people are always busy doing something, avoiding the altar. And I can only think that it's demonically energized, that there's something in them that God wants to put his finger on, but they've been avoiding him because busyness sometimes or, or a lack of wanting to come to a place where God truly gets to search you and knows you can masquerade as busyness or responsibility sometimes. And it's time for us to get really honest with God because we're not called to just have things start and end with a revival in a, a, a student hall where, where people feel great and they're introduced to God. We're called to actually manage a sustainable revival. And it's, and it's going to take more than a good feeling. And it's going to take... It's, it's going to cost us personally sometimes a lot of things that we don't want to pay. It's going to cost us relationally. Forgiveness isn't easy. But I tell you what's a lot harder living with unforgiveness. Put yourself in an early grave. You look gross, covered in wrinkles, haggard, can't sleep at night, no peace, hating on everybody, can't be in any room without energy. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you to have a sustainable revival and actually work on those relationships that are fractured. Then our responsibility. Are we doing what we are called to do? Just do your job. Just start there. Am I effectively doing my job, what God has asked me to do. Jesus said at the end of his life, I have fulfilled my ministry. I have fulfilled my assignment. Father, everything you gave me, I fulfilled. And then, of course, repentance. There's a reason in the Lord's Prayer, the Bible says, forgive us our sins. And I think this is something that we need to be saying daily. Repentance isn't just a one-stop shop on an altar call. It, it's a daily inventory of, Father, weed my heart. Get it out. Like, I'm, I'm constantly doing that, like an, an internal repentance. I don't want to be that way. I, I don't want to be bitter. I don't, I don't want to be jaded. I don't want to be cynical. And the, and the longer you hang out in the world and you see people behaving crazy, and, and even in the church, the, the cynic in you will want to rise higher than the, the woman or man of faith. Like, don't let it. You, you are the gatekeeper of your heart. What did Proverbs tell us? Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. 
Well, how do you know what you're letting in your heart? Well, what's coming out of your life? What's flowing out of your life? I don't know what I'm putting in my heart. Well, let, why don't you do this inventory? What's flowing out of your life? Negativity, judgment, constantly offended, mad at everybody, bitter, jealous. Well, you're letting stuff in your heart that you should have dealt with. And it's time for you to, to get on the altar, your own private altar, and repent again. Stand to your feet, everyone. A sustainable revival. A sustainable revival. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Just lift your hands to the Lord. And maybe one of those four has landed on you today and, and the Lord is speaking to you through this message. Allow him to do the work he wants to do. He said, I am the potter, you are the clay. The minute your life will stop to function and you won't have peace and joy is when you decide you are the potter and the clay. And you remove yourself from the potter's wheel and you say, I got this, God. Step aside. I'm going to put my butt on the throne. It's not going to go well for you. Not just a sustainable revival in our city, but a revival like you can be a walking revival. William Booth said, I'm not waiting for a move of God. I am a move of God. And I don't, you know, I don't believe he was prideful or arrogant in saying that. Like, I'm not waiting for a revival. I am a revival. I am a walking revival. I, I am in relationship with my Heavenly Father. I've not made that somebody else's responsibility. I am doing my absolute best to maintain good relationships with the family of God. I am responsible to fulfill the assignment that God has put on my life. I represent him well. I love him. And I want to bring honor and glory to his name. I am fun and I am holy. And finally, I take a moment every day to come before the Lord and repent. Oh, Father, search me, know me. Test my every anxious thought and see that there be no wicked way within me. And lead me in the life everlasting. Revival starts with us. Revival starts with you. Revival starts with me. Father, I thank you for these ones. Let this word hit where it needs to hit today. And Father, we thank you for the challenge that your word brings. We thank you for the assignments that we each carry. Never let us be cavalier or casual with what you've placed in our hands. Just like in the parable of the talents, you're coming and you're going to be looking for a return. We don't want to be cast out into the place of darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with what belongs to another man. Father, that's the words that we're looking for. In Jesus' mighty name, somebody say amen. Amen. Amen, you guys. Amen. Oh, my gosh.